There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning. You are listening to the Daily Doctrine Devotional. This is a daily podcast designed to teach and preach Bible doctrine each weekday throughout the year. This is Evangelist Tim McVeigh asking you to please let others know about this podcast so that they can subscribe or tune in each weekday. At the end of the podcast, we will provide you with subscription information as well as contact information for our ministry. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed, song of the redeemed. Well, thank you for tuning in again this day. We certainly are thankful for each of you that are tuning in this week. This is a different week for us in the fact that I will not be doing the podcast, uh, but rather I've had some other men that will be filling in doing the podcast for us. And so as we're recovering from the birth of the baby, and the addition to our home, our new way of life, I just asked some men that would be able to willing to preach for us, and we're certainly thankful for each of them. Today, Pastor Chad Colburn is going to preach for us. Pastor Colburn is the pastor of the South Liberty Baptist Church. It's in Liberty, Maine, the little village of Burkittsville, and uh, we're certainly thankful for Brother Chad Colburn, his ministry, his family, the friendship, the fellowship that God has given us over these years. And so you listen as Brother Chad Colburn preaches to us. I pray it's a blessing to you. Of himself as Savior and King to Israel. Okay, so Palm Sunday is a Sunday each year that that we are reminded of Jesus' public offering of himself as Savior and King to Israel. And we're going to look at that today, and we're going to see the King remains faithful. That's our title. That's what we're going to see today. The King remains faithful. Matthew 21, verse number 1. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went, and did as Jesus commanded them. And brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand your word and to see all the different things that are going on in this passage. I thank you in advance for the the blessing that you give to your word, just it being read and it being obeyed and believed. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So again, just by way of summary, 
Palm Sunday is a Sunday each year that we observe and are reminded of Jesus' public offering of himself as the Savior and the King of Israel. And we have to understand those two terms are very important, as Savior and as King. So we're going to walk through this particular event, and I want you to see a contrast. I want you to see, look in verse 4, I want you to see how it is that Jesus and Matthew, how they, what they understood this event to, to mean, and then also see how the people, what the people saw this event to mean. And you'll see that they're very two, two different things. Jesus is presenting himself as Savior and King, and the multitudes, they're not interested in a Savior, they're interested in a King. We'll see the contrast, but we'll see in the, to the very end that the Lord is faithful. God is faithful. Even though Israel is not, they're going to reject him as Savior, and they're going to be rejected from having him as king, he will yet be faithful to them and will come again and will be the king of Israel. So as we walk through this, our first slide, our first point, is that Jesus enters into Jerusalem and he offers himself. I've said it multiple times. I want to make sure we get it. He's offered himself as the Savior and King of Israel. Now I want you to think about this, that that there were times in Jesus' three-and-a-half-year ministry where people tried to make him the king by force. For example, in John chapter 6, the Bible says that when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. So Jesus wasn't just going to be made king. He wasn't just going to, uh, whenever the, whenever people felt like it was time, he is specifically working towards this day where he's going to offer himself as king. When Jesus, by his brothers, they kind of mock him and tell him, listen, if you're who you say you are, then go to Jerusalem and, and tell the whole world that you're savior and king. In John 7, Jesus says to his brothers, my time is not yet come. And so this day, this this Palm Sunday, this is not some kind of, you know, it struck Jesus's fancy. It was, uh, it wasn't random. It was a time before appointed. Jesus knew this is the time when I'm going to enter Jerusalem and present myself as Savior and King. Now, Matthew understands this to be a fulfillment of prophecy, okay? So if you look in verse 4, after Jesus gives these instructions to the disciples to to go get a hold of uh, a donkey, an ass, and and her foal with her, he tells them to bring them to him. Look what Matthew says in verse 4. He says, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Okay, so Matthew understands that that Jesus is doing this in order to fulfill a prophecy of the Old Testament. Now we find that in Zechariah chapter 9. So hold your place in Matthew and work backwards and you'll come to Zechariah. You'll come to Zechariah. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Malachi is the last in the Old. Keep working, you'll come to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Zechariah 9, 9. 
So what we're seeing in Matthew chapter 21 is a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. So Matthew is looking at Zechariah 9.9 as a fulfillment of, or Matthew 21 is a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. So we want to understand, if we want to understand what's going on, we're going to look carefully at Zechariah 9.9. So what does Zechariah 9.9 say about this king? Well, the king, in verse 9 of Zechariah 9, is just and having salvation. The king is just and having salvation. Now your cross-reference is there, and you can note these and look at them uh, later, but I'll read them to you. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So Paul, the man who writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, is a man who was a Pharisee, he was a, an educated Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was, uh, he was a Jew of the Jews. And when Jesus first came onto the scene and as Christianity begins to spread, Paul is busy trying to stop Christianity. He is busy uh, persecuting Christians. But then he gets saved and his own testimony is, listen, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. Jesus is consistently, when we think about his message and why he came, John 3 comes to mind, right? John 3 verses 14 to 17, we're familiar with these verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to contemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Zechariah 9.9 says very clearly that your king comes, he is just, so he's righteous, and he's having salvation. The second thing we see about the king is that the king is lowly. The king is lowly. And Zechariah 9.9, the word lowly is used. In Matthew, the word meek is used. He wears no crown. If he's offering himself as king and you think about what a king would look like in this day, there's a certain attire you think of that a king would wear. He would have a crown. He would have some kind of royal clothing. But Jesus doesn't come wearing a crown. He doesn't come wearing the attire of a king. Philippians chapter 2 says that he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. If Jesus was coming to, if Jerusalem was Burkittville, Maine, okay, if Jerusalem was Burkittville, Maine, and Jesus came to Burkittville to offer himself uh, as Savior and King at this time, what would he look like? Probably just like one of us. Flannel shirt, pair of jeans, pair of shoes. He wouldn't, be, he wouldn't have the attire that we would expect of a king if we were to take our day and plug it back in If, uh, for an example. He comes meek and lowly. He wears no crown, no royal attire. And sometimes we think, okay, well, 
Why in the world is he riding upon a donkey with its foal, with its colt? Why is he riding on a donkey with its foal? And when you think about, again, at this day and age, when men go to war, they go to war upon what? Horses. They go to war upon horses. And if you were just to take a a concordance or you take a Bible app that can search and you search for the word horses, you find that more often than not, horses are tied to war. Jesus doesn't come into Jerusalem upon a horse. He comes upon a donkey, not just any donkey, a mother donkey who is still nursing her young. Mark 11 and Luke 19 actually describe the colt as never having been even sat on before. Now, some people say, well, the, you know, did he, did he sit upon the, the, the mom donkey or did he sit upon the colt or the foal? Well, he sat upon both. That's what Zechariah 9, 9 says. Well, how's that possible? Well, you get off one and you get on the other. Zechariah 9.9, right? What does it say? It says he comes, he's just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Real simple. You can't sit on both at the same time, so you get off one and get on the other. Now, what does this all communicate? He's not wearing a crown. He's not wearing kingly attire. He's not riding upon a a, a, a stallion that he's not decked out in armor. There's no sword. What is he trying to communicate? Well, he's not coming as a conquering king. He's not entering Jerusalem as a conquering king. He's not coming as a political deliverer. He's coming as a suffering servant. He's coming as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Okay, so it's clear. Jesus paints a very clear picture. Matthew understands he's coming because he is the Lamb of God and he's here to take away the sin of the world. Okay, he comes just having salvation. Now, how is it that the multitude understands his coming? Look at Matthew again, 21. Matthew 21. This is fascinating. Words have meaning and we... Our practice here is if we're trying to understand when someone's quoting Scripture, we want to compare Scripture with Scripture so we understand what they, what they mean. And so look at what the multitude says. We'll look in verse, well, look at their actions. They recognize him as king, okay? So you see that in verse 8, this great multitude, they spread their garments in the way, and you think, well, why would they do that? Well, uh, before they had paved roads without mud, right? Uh, your feet get dirty. And so to lay out your garments or to put down, put down palm branches was a way of showing honor because you were making sure that even that person's feet didn't get dirty. It's the rolling out the red carpet treatment, if you will. And so they're spreading their garments. They're spreading their branches. They're putting them in his path. The Bible says the multitudes that went before in verse 9 and that followed, they cried, saying, Hosanna. Now, Hosanna is the only time this word is used in the scriptures is this event. And Hosanna, really, it's a, it's a, they took the Hebrew word, that's Hosanna, and they just made it into an English word, Hosanna, okay? It just means save us. Save us. So they're calling out to Jesus, save us. Save us, they say. 
Hosanna to the son of David. And then they quote scripture. They quote Psalm 118. So look at this. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So what is it that the multitude means when they're marching into Jerusalem where Jesus is riding in? Part They might have thought, and they, if they, they would have known Zechariah 9.9, but some of them probably thought, well, you know, he doesn't look like much, but he's our king. Doesn't look like a king, but this is our king. But what is it that they're after? What do they want from him? How do they, what is their, what is their response tell you that they believe? Well, turn to Psalm 118. Hold your place in Matthew 21. If I want to know what they mean when they say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, then I'm going to track it, trace it to where it's quoted. So you'll find it in verse 26. Of Psalm 118. Psalm 118, 26. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So there's your quote, there's your, your quote, there's your cross-reference. So that doesn't give you a whole lot. You're like, okay, yep, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. But then you look at the psalm overall and you start to understand, okay, this is what these people are thinking, what they're feeling, what they're looking for. So look back in Psalm 118. I'll begin reading in verse 1. I'm just going to read. I'm going to read all the way down through verse 12. You're going to hone in on verses 10, 11, and 12, and you can kind of get a sense of what they're thinking, what they're feeling as they say this. Psalm 118, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. I called upon the Lord in distress. Okay, so this is Israel speaking, the nation. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. So you see verse 5, you've got distress. You've got concern about men. But there's no fear because they know the king is there to deliver them from their enemies. Verse 7, I see my desire upon them that hate me. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in Lord than to put confidence in princes. Now look at verse 10, 11, and 12. All nations compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. Look at verse 11. They compassed me about. Yea, they compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compassed me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. Okay? In Matthew 21, we just have to ask ourselves the question, Is Jerusalem actually surrounded by armies? They're not surrounded by armies. Certainly Rome is in charge of the land. But Rome hasn't surrounded Jerusalem in an effort to destroy them. It might feel like that for Israel. They might want the Romans out of their business. They might want the Romans to be out of the promised land, but this is not actually what is happening. 
They're not surrounded like bees. They're not surrounded. Uh, nations have not surrounded them. But what they want is they want Jesus to deliver them from the Romans. They want to call the shots. They want to have the kingdom again. They haven't had their own kingdom since the Babylonian captivity. It's been over 400 years since Israel has been an independent nation with their own king. And now they have a son of David. Now they have a king. And they want him to be their political deliverer. There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning And he longs to return to the Lord As he cries for forgiveness and mercy God is waiting You have been listening to the Daily Doctrine Podcast with Evangelist Tim McVeigh. For correspondence, please contact us through our website and someevangelist.com and use the contact form to connect with us. You may also subscribe to the podcast through our website or search for Daily Doctrine Evangelist Tim McVeigh on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or Amazon. To write to us, please use our church address, which is Manasseh Community Baptist Church, 70 Back Hollow Road, Blaine, Pennsylvania. 17006. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in tomorrow. And remember to look up for your redemption all at night. Now the angels of God are rejoicing for the prodigal child has come home, and the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed.